Time now for the quote of the week. And it may be the most shocking quote I've heard in really quite some time, probably decades. It gets to the heart, though, of why we have this inflation problem, or we have energy and food prices going through the roof. Or maybe you think the goal was to have record high energy fertilizer prices, which guaranteed the crisis, which threatens literally millions of people with starvation. Maybe you think the goal was multi-decade high inflation. I'm just going to give them a break. I don't think that's the case. I think they've been surprised. They've been surprised by the unintended consequences. But the question is, how did we arrive in this sea of unintended negative consequences, including the fallout from the EU's energy dependence on Russia or the myriad of negative consequences from the decision to lock down the economy in response to COVID? I should have said lockdown society. Or the worst inflation, 30, 40 years, which was the inevitable consequence of central banks and governments pushing trillions of dollars into the economy and, you know, with things like record low interest rates. I mean, everywhere we look, we are living negative, unintended consequences. And that brings me to this astonishing quote by Kristalina Ivanova Georgieva. Now, she's chair and managing director of the International Monetary Fund. She was in a roundtable discussion that included the Federal Reserve's Jerome Powell, Christine Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank. And she stated in quotes, we are not paying sufficient attention to the law of unintended consequences. We take our decisions with an objective in mind and rarely think through what may happen if our objective's not met. Take any decision, like the decision that we have to spend to support the economy. At that time, we did recognize that may lead to too much money in circulation, to too few goods, but we really didn't think through the consequences. Come on, this defines decision-making at the highest level. Whether we were talking or are talking about COVID restrictions or the war on fossil fuels, never thought past what happens next. Now, as I said, I'll give the leaders the benefit of the doubt and say things like the record high energy fertilizer prices resulting food crisis. I give them this benefit of the doubt. I know that wasn't their goal. They were just surprised by it. Same with all the other things like the negative fallout from COVID. But my goodness, Ms. Georgieva has confirmed our worst fears that the people in charge of the most monumental decisions in generations didn't think them through. There was no, for example, cost-benefit analysis of the different restrictions during COVID. And the problem is compounded by the fact that we're not supposed to question authority. That's aggressively discouraged. As I say, I'm just shaking my head here. It's my worst fear that they didn't think through the possible consequences of these major league decisions. Time now for the week's shocking stat. Well, as I mentioned just a little bit ago at the top of the show, the reaction in some quarters to the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk has been, well, let's just call it interesting. Uh, one of the narratives that's been actually hilarious to me and a testament to the lack of self-awareness was wonderfully expressed by the former CEO of social media site Reddit, who in an op-ed in the Washington Post, it was entitled, Twitter bid highlights the risk of a sole owner and goes on to call for government regulation to, in quotes, prevent rich people from controlling our channels of communication. Come on, this is a newspaper that's owned by billionaire Jeff Bezos through his uh, company Nash Holdings. But how don't you get that? How, how could they not see that when they're writing it and putting it in the paper? But how about the worry that Musk will censor the progressive woke agenda? 
this is kind of a cute quote by executive director of United Nations Watch, Hillel Neuer, who he's being tongue in cheek here, by the way, he says they fear Elon Musk could undermine the ideological diversity, equity and inclusion at Twitter, which currently maintains a careful balance of ninety eight point seven percent for one side. And that brings me to the shocking stat of the week. Speaking of lack of ideological diversity in Silicon Valley, but social media specifically, Vox did some research on who's making donations to the midterm elections, you know, and the candidates by party. So here you go. Number one, Netflix, 99.6% of the donations go to Democratic candidates. Twitter itself, 98.7% go to Democratic candidates. Apple, just out of interest, 97.5%, all Democrat. Uh, Google, 96%. Facebook, 94.5%. This is interesting. Tesla, 93.9%, nearly 94% of Tesla. Why are they worried? I don't know. But it really just points out the lack of ideological diversity, uh, certainly in Silicon Valley, but also in social media. And I just got a real kick out of it. But I was also shocked at its to that extreme. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. And it goes to the Attorney General of Canada, David Lametti, who testified this week in front of the Commons Committee looking into why the Emergencies Act was implemented. Because the Emergencies Act gave the government massive powers to restrict personal freedom, including freezing personal bank accounts for people who donated to a legal protest. And they had no recourse. And by the way, the politicization of bank accounts continues to be referenced around the world. This is a huge issue, and Canada's regularly included. So what was the Attorney General's rationale and the government's for the Emergency Act? Well, according... To his testimony, the Attorney General said they relied on what proved to be a false story peddled by the CBC that stated that the truckers' convoy was being primarily financed by foreign money, including a completely ridiculous and unstantiated claim of Russian money. But Attorney General Lametti himself went further and suggested, and he had no evidence whatsoever, still stated on camera that the convoy was being financed by Trump supporters. I mean, it was all absolutely false. And the CBC claimed to have done extensive research. They literally had to admit, though, that in fact they hadn't done any. They made it up. But don't worry, in adhering to the lowest journalistic standards around, no one lost their job for that false report. Why? I think it's because the government approved. Making false claims is okay as long as it's in the service of the government narrative. As Paul Wells, one of Canada's senior political commentators, uh, commentators, remarked, the CBC is the government's most expensive PR firm. But I would have thought that taking the most aggressive assault on individual freedom in over 50 years would have merited some serious research and evidence gathering, but it didn't. It's no different, by the way, than the lack of evidence to support the extreme social media censorship measures now proposed by the government. They're unfounded. But it's not the only thing. Also noteworthy is the fact that it doesn't bother, it seems to bother many Canadians, that individual rights from freedom of speech to supporting illegal progress are only for those people they agree with. The story, though, was meant to, you know, these stories were meant to discredit the convoy in the public's eyes. And here's another one. I call this the trifecta. The the second pillar, though, was reports that attributed arson at an Ottawa apartment 
including the chaining of doors to prevent occupants from leaving. And they attributed that to members of the truckers' convoy, which the Ottawa police said were absolutely uh, false. I mean, the arsonists had no connection to the convoy and have since been arrested. Yet this week, that falsehood was repeated in testimony in front of the Commons Committee by the Public Safety Minister, Marco uh, Mandacino. I mean, I guess why should he be held hostage by the truth? After all, he's a government minister. And finally, the third leg of the trifecta. Do you remember the outrage during the truckers' convoy's early days in Ottawa? Many pointing to this picture of a woman dancing on the tomb of the unknown soldier. Man, a lot of that was made hate of. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley, well, he led the NPs and the commentary and the outcry, stating to see that from the protesters was shocking, disgusting, and a slap in the face to every Canadian veteran. Only problem, as the Ottawa police again confirmed this week, the woman dancing on the tomb of the unknown soldier had no connection to the convoy protest. I think that's quite a trifecta of falsehoods on the part of the government, mainstream media, and many in the commentariat, because they oppose the truckers' convoy. False foreign funding, false accusations of arson, saying the woman dancing in the tomb was a member of the protest. No, more amazing, though, is that so many in the establishment hear that, and they still wonder why millions of Canadians have lost faith in the government and the media.